as the global economic backdrop continues to improve, is it time to invest in emerging markets? Under the hood, there are a lot of different dynamics playing out. But the key message I want to leave is that the quality of the earnings is going to be much better in 23. I'm Alison Nathan, and this is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Emerging market stocks and bonds suffered steep losses in 2022, but have started to rebound in recent months. To help us understand whether that rally can continue and the outlook for emerging market assets this year, I'm sitting down with Goldman Sachs' Kai Haig and Hiran Dasani from the Asset and Wealth Management business. Kai is co-CIO of Fixed Income and oversees the Emerging Markets Debt Team, and Hiran is the co-head of Emerging Markets Equity. Hiran Kai, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Alison. So emerging markets certainly did not escape the downturn in markets last year. They suffered very heavy losses. There were tons of headwinds. We had rising rates, a strong U.S. dollar, lockdowns in China, the war in Ukraine, the list goes on and on. But this year, emerging market assets are turning in a better performance and in some areas, outperformance. So what's deriving this better performance? Here, and maybe you can start us off. If you think about last year, Other than the macro factors such as U.S. Fed aggressively hiking rates and the resultant strength of the U.S. dollar, you had two EM-specific issues which were impacting the EM equities market. The first was the China economic slowdown, which was a function of the zero-COVID strategy being pursued throughout the 2022 and also the default by the Chinese real estate companies and general sense that China is going to be less friendly to private entrepreneurship going forward. The second reason impacting the EM equities last year was the semiconductor cycle. Coming out of COVID, there was significant pull-in of demand across the value chain of semiconductors. And starting around second half of last year, we are witnessing significant destocking of the inventories of the semiconductors. So these were the two EM-specific reasons for, let's say, the underperformance of the EM equities last year. The good news, we are seeing silver linings on both of these issues. China, as we all know, has abundant zero-COVID strategy and has opened up the economy starting December. Pace of reopening is far better and has been a surprise to almost all the investors. Along with that, there have also been significant policy pivot on the real estate sector, as well as clear signal that private sector is very much welcome in China. On the semiconductor side of it, also we are seeing the early indicators that the cycle may be close to bottoming out. We are no longer seeing significant decline in the end market applications of semiconductors such as smartphones or computers or the other communication products. The fact that China and the semiconductor cycle both are turning around make us much more positive on the EM equities for the next year. And Kai, Hiran mentioned the impact of rising rates. I'm sitting here in the U.S. There's a newfound concern that the rate hiking cycle isn't over. It will last longer than maybe was previously anticipated. We're seeing the dollar resurge again. What does that mean or what would that mean for EM sovereign and corporate debt? Typically, Most EM spreads and countries are driven by a lot of idiosyncratic factors. But of course, you've just mentioned two or three of the most important exogenous drivers behind emerging market performance, which is the strength of the dollar, global liquidity and global growth. And as we saw last year, when there was a deterioration 
from the point of view of emerging markets, when rates were going up and people worried about growth, when inflation was high and people feared that central banks had to continue to hike, EM didn't perform very well. That was last year's story. I think when you look at it today, a couple of things are different. The first one is just to pause a little bit and think about why are US rates where they are? Are they going much higher or are they higher for longer? I think that typically has a negative impact on emerging markets. But this year, interest rates are rising not because of global inflationary fears, but because economic activity in the United States is a little bit stronger. So at the margin, that's a good reason for why rates are where they are and likely to stay where they are. The second point is just worth thinking about is when we look at emerging markets, of course, not every country is affected by higher rates in the same way. So some are much more resilient. Some corporates are much more resilient. And it's really figuring out the sensitivity that these countries have, either because of their debt gearing or because of their lack of liquidity, that we can very quickly see which countries are likely to perform better than others in this particular environment. So although the market has rallied, it's been supported at the beginning of the year, we've been actually quite differentiated in the way we look at EM. And there are clearly countries, let's say Mexico, that are much more resilient than others, for example, Ghana, Sri Lanka, Zambia, etc. And the final point, very quickly, just to point to the obvious, which is that when we look at EM debt, the opportunity set is actually very heterogeneous. So there's corporates, IG, high yield. And if you look at the kind of deterioration and sovereign debt dynamics as a response to higher rates, it's actually not been that dramatic. It's been relatively modest. Interest payments as a percentage of GDP have increased by only 0.3% since 2019. So why is that? Well, because a lot of these countries or corporates also fund themselves in local currency. And here it's really real rates that matter. And they've been negative. So the backdrop is much better looking forward than it was over the last year. And just a quick follow-up to that, because we are also seeing emerging market central banks respond. Can you talk a little bit about how they have responded to these developments in the US and the other developed markets and how that's feeding into some of the differentiation you've talked about? Yeah, so they've responded. I think here also it's Very interesting to break it down between the long-term and the shorter-term response. On the shorter-term response on monetary policy, EM central banks started hiking before developed market central banks hiked. And they probably reached the peak in rates at some point in the second half of last year. There are obviously exceptions. China and Turkey are exceptions, but they're very idiosyncratic, number one. Number two, on the fiscal side, ever since COVID, so now for the last almost three years, EM countries have actually been on a fiscal tightening path. And that is overspend that took place back in 2020 that needs to come out of the system. And actually, those countries that haven't tightened their fiscal are, in fact, the ones that are the most vulnerable going forward. So they were very incentivized to tighten fiscal, and that's what they've done. So in a cyclical sense, liquidity conditions have probably reached their tight for emerging markets, given fiscal and monetary policy responses. But I wouldn't expect this to change dramatically. So I don't think there's a dramatic kind of loosening of policy. And then the more structural point, and that pertains to the dollar 
and how a stronger dollar links into kind of emerging market vulnerabilities. Absolutely, a stronger dollar on average has not been good for emerging markets. But it's really worth pointing out that for a long period of time now, ever since the 2008 crisis, actually, emerging markets have done a number of things to make themselves more resilient. First of all, they've moved away from having formal pegs to the dollar, not in all instances, but in a lot of instances. So they haven't built up these imbalances. They've been much smarter about how they fund themselves. So they haven't built up a lot of dollar debt or less dollar debt than they used to have in the past. So, you know, the whole dollar effect, although it's still there, is actually weaker than it has been in the past. So EM countries have actually done quite a lot of work on that front. And I just wanted to spend one more moment on China here and mentioned the importance of China reopening to the outlook. I think there is a lot of discussion in the market about how temporary that may prove to be, though. So what are you hearing? What are you seeing? And how are you expecting China to feed into the outlook this year? So China reopening and reopening more quickly it's generally considered to be a positive thing because it's positive for economic growth in China. And if China grows more, there are very clear channels through which that has a positive impact at the margin on emerging markets. So they import more. So that's good for exporters, probably better for Asia, good for Latin America. There's another channel, which is services. The biggest service is actually tourism. So people traveling, also good for emerging markets, good for Asia. And then the third channel would be higher commodity demand and higher commodity prices. So that's good for a large number of emerging market countries that export commodities. So the obvious ones here are Brazil, South Africa, Chile, Peru, etc. So at the margin, this is positive. I would just calibrate it a little bit. We're talking about growth at the margin. So we're not talking about a dramatic economic expansion like we saw in 2009 post-financial crisis where growth rates went to double-digit numbers. We're really talking about whether Chinese growth is going to be 5% or 5.5% for the year or that's the range, the confidence interval. So I think it's positive. China reopening is positive combined with a number of other positive things that China has done, as Hiran mentioned earlier. But I would say investors should view it as something that is good at the margin. It is not something that will by itself drive returns in emerging markets going forward. And here in India was a big beneficiary of money moving out of China in 2022. So if we think about the reopening of China this year, how is that affecting India at this point? Yeah, it's interesting that people think India and China are going to complement or if one works, the other will not work or something like that. The fact that China reopening is going to be positive for the global economic growth. Obviously, India is going to benefit because of that as well. Now, if you think about why Indian equities significantly outperformed Chinese equities or in the broader emerging market equities in the prior two years, which is 2021 and 22, and specifically, India had more than 50% of cumulative outperformance over a two-year period compared to the MSCI Emerging Market or MSCI China. There were few India-specific factors. First and foremost, the recovery of economy coming out of COVID from the second half of 21 was very strong. And last year, India had more than 7% real GDP growth. The second also very important reason why India did very well was that the Indian government used the opportunity of COVID to push through some important structural reforms, more specifically the labor law reforms, 
the incentivization of the manufacturing sector through the production-linked incentive scheme, and also some big-ticket privatization, such as that of Air India, the national carrier, which was being talked about for a long time, but it got finally consummated last year. So there were some structural reforms, and there is a cyclical recovery, which are more India-specific factors. And obviously, the fact that Korea and Taiwan were impacted by the semiconductor drawdown and China had its own issues that also helped India in a relative terms. And it's anybody's call how the markets would do in the near term. Valuations of India after two years of very strong performance did appear to be somewhat expensive compared to its own long-term average and compared to the other emerging markets like China and North Asian markets like Korea, Taiwan. But you also need to realize that India is the only market which is going to have compounded earnings growth of more than 15% for almost a period of four to five years starting 2021. And we are in the midst of this multi-year corporate earnings recovery cycle. So while it's tough to say what might happen to the markets in the very near term, we are far more positive on India from a long-term structural growth perspective. And there are very few large economies in the world where you can say that investors have visibility of 6 to 7% real GDP growth, not only for one or two years, but almost for a next decade or so. And India is one of them. More importantly, India's growth is also driven much more by domestic consumption, investment in infrastructure, increasing manufacturing competitiveness, And these are the factors which will probably make India's growth less correlated, not completely uncorrelated, but less correlated with the global growth. And that provides some real diversification benefits to the investors. To cut the long story short, in India, we continue to be positive from a medium-term perspective. And you're talking about a strong outlook for earnings in India. If we think about emerging markets more broadly... And this improving backdrop that both you and Kai have been discussing from a macro perspective, are we seeing that come through earnings across other parts of the EM universe at this point? Just as in many aspects of life, statistics can be misleading sometimes. And if you look at the headline EM corporate earnings growth for year of 2023 is likely to be tepid. And in fact, EM earnings might see low to mid single digit decline for the year of 2023. However, it is important to understand the drivers of the earnings growth and earnings decline is going to be driven much more by sectors such as commodity, energy and other global cyclical type of sectors which had very strong earnings last year. Last year, in the aftermath of Russia invading Ukraine, the commodity prices went up quite a bit and all the commodity producers had very strong corporate earnings last year. And they are facing a very high base in year of 23. Having said that, the good news is that the structural growth stories in the EM, such as consumer staples, consumer discretionary, financials, healthcare, these are some of the sectors which are going to witness very strong double-digit corporate earnings growth in 23. So yes, the overall earnings may not grow that much in 23, but the quality of earnings for 23 is going to be far better than what we saw in 22. And finally, if you look at geographically, China and India, the two largest emerging markets by market cap and by the weightages, they will see mid-teens kind of corporate earnings growth in 2023. China more specifically about 14% and India is likely to see about 16 to 18% corporate earnings growth in 23. And on the other hand, semiconductor heavy markets like Korea and Taiwan, 
are still going to see some decline in the earnings because in the first half of 23, the inventory destocking cycle is still going on. So under the hood, there are a lot of different dynamics playing out. But the key message I want to leave is that the quality of the earnings is going to be much better in 23. And what about valuations, which you touched on in the context of India, but broadly across emerging markets, is there some potential for multiple expansion as we look ahead? Yes, I can talk about the EM equities valuation as measured by one year forward P multiple, which is the most common way of looking at the valuations. The one year forward P multiple of EM equities is today at about 11.5 times which is not very different from the long-term average multiple of, let's say, about 11.4 times. And you can say that broadly, valuations are fair in line with the long-term averages. However, if you think of EM from a price to book, which is the another valuation metric, then EM equities are trading at about 1.6 times one year forward price to book multiple versus long-term average of about 1.8 times. That indicates some discount to its own long-term average. The other way to think of EM versus developed markets and more specifically US. So obviously EM equities have all traded at a discount to US, but the long-term average discount to US is in the range of 25 to 30%. Currently, we are trading at about 35% a discount to the US market compared to, let's say, long-term average of 25 to 30%. Fair valuation compared to its own average, but compared to the US and the developed market, there is still some room for valuations to improve for the emerging market equities. And Kai, you mentioned liquidity very briefly, but when we think about investing in emerging markets, it's a topic that always comes up. It's a concern that always comes up. And given the outflows that we did see in the last year, has that problem gotten worse? Give us some update. Yeah, indeed. The outflows last year were significant, but We've seen quite a significant reversal in the first few months of this year. Usually, January is quite a heavy month for emerging market issuance. Typically, EM countries and corporates, they raise about 20% of their annual requirement in January. And this year has been no different. In fact, actually, it's been even bigger than... So there is a lot of access now, all of a sudden, to liquidity in the markets. For the first two months of the year, issuance has been around $50 billion which is almost half the annual requirement. So the market has opened up, liquidity has been strong. The market differentiates, that's important, a little bit along the lines of what we spoke about a little bit earlier, which is it differentiates around solvency and liquidity in emerging market borrowers. So those that haven't done any heavy lifting and haven't improved macro fundamentals find it much harder to access, but liquidity is there and it's been significant year to date. And we are still feeling some implications for the ongoing war in Ukraine in terms of just how hard they've hit some of the poorest nations. Many of them are in talks of lenders, and we are seeing some negotiations over rescue packages from the IMF to restructure debt. So how will that affect foreign bondholders? So you're right. It's been correlated with Ukraine in the sense that there was a wave of countries that started to restructure debt not repay last year. But I think a lot of the factors that drove countries to that point were actually already in play from much earlier in the sense that these were countries who had spent and borrowed beyond their means. They are now in the process with the IMF. Debt is getting restructured. In many cases, negotiations are ongoing, but 
negotiations now include quite a large array of different lenders. You've got the multilaterals, so IMF, World Bank, etc. You've got bilaterals, which are countries lending directly. You've got China in the mix now compared to past rounds of debt restructurings. China today is a far bigger lender to emerging markets than it had been in the past. And that is an interesting factor because China is not necessarily negotiating along with others. They're negotiating by themselves bilaterally and it has tended to slow down debt negotiations, for instance, in Zambia. So how does it affect investors and countries, actually, is the longer that these kind of restructurings are ongoing and do not get settled, the longer the negotiations take. Obviously, the worse it is for bondholders because it has a negative impact on their recovery. And it's also negative for the countries themselves because they don't have access to markets and they probably are unable to spend on some essentials. To your question, the longer these negotiations go on, the more negative the impact both on bondholders and borrowers. Let me end by asking both of you where you see, given everything we've talked about, where you see the most value in emerging markets today, Heron on the equity side and Kai on the debt side. Heron, maybe you can start. So our investing philosophy is much more bottom-up, looking for sound businesses trading at attractive valuations. And the way we define sound businesses, we want businesses which have strong competitive advantages run by the high-quality management teams and someone who treat minority shareholders as the proportionate owners of the business. So usually we tend to find such businesses in the area of consumer, financials, and information technology sectors within the emerging markets. If I can just give you some flavor of what type of businesses we tend to like, these are the compounding growth stories in the areas of, let's say, retail lending-focused commercial banks, or it could be the stock exchanges, it could be e-commerce and the food delivery type of businesses where the penetration levels are still much lower in the emerging markets, or it could be hospital, health insurance type of businesses. So these are some of the, I would say, businesses where we tend to find a lot of excitement of compounding opportunities over the years. And Kai on the debt side? So we're very constructive on emerging market corporate debt. The emerging market corporate index, to a large extent, IG rated, but it offers attractive yield pickup over comparable developed market corporate bonds. That's an interesting opportunity. Additionally, that segment gives you access to Asia and growth in Asia, which is something that on the margin we like. And EM companies typically have been able to be quite resilient. They usually have more degrees of freedom when it comes to reducing costs and restructuring. So we like that segment, both in terms of access to Asian growth and valuation and its resilience. Other than that, of course, if you think a little bit longer term, there's an energy transition that needs to take place in emerging markets. There's digitization as well. And there's an increasing kind of number of assets that are coming up. And that we like that. We like those longer term structural stories in emerging markets as well. And that's a great opportunity set. And on the sovereign side, I would say higher quality emerging market sovereigns that have run sensible economic policies like Indonesia or Mexico represent good value as well. Mexico is particularly interesting through its proximity to the United States, remittances, and maybe some kind of pivoting in terms of supply chains away from China towards Latin America. Hi, Heron. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, recorded on Monday, February 27th, 2023. 
If you enjoyed this show, we hope you follow on your platform of choice and tune in next week for another episode. Make sure to share and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more, visit gs.com and sign up for Briefings, a weekly newsletter from Goldman Sachs about trends shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.